wisdom, but I believe in the power of the word of God. I believe that the word of God has, that, that it causes things to take place, that it changes people. You know, I sit with and talk to different people at different places in their lives and, you know, connect with people that are walking through addiction issues, people that are walking through their marriage falling apart, people that are walking through some of the the ugliest, most uh, horrible times that a human being can walk through. And, and the only thing that I give them in those moments, and I, a lot of the time I have this conversation with them. I want you to know right now, I can't help you. That's usually how we begin the conversation. I want you to know right now, that I can't help you. And they give me this look like, then why am I here? You know, I said, however, I believe that God will help you. And I want to help you engage with him. And I want to give you God's word and God's word can help you. But I never, ever promise quick answers to anything. Um, sometimes God does that. God does, he does every once in a while, God does things instantly. There are suddenlies that that takes place. It happened in the the in the you know second chapter of Acts when they were all gathered together in the upper room, and suddenly it says a sound like a mighty rushing wind. There are suddenlies. There are moments where God breaks in with grace that changes everything in an instant. Just boom. But most of the time, that's not how God acts. Most of the time, he acts through his word being sent out, us receiving it in faith, and we walk through a process where lies are uprooted and the truth takes deep root and bears fruit. That's usually how God works in the human heart, most of the time. Have I seen people who one day were completely addicted to a substance and five minutes later, they were not any longer. Yeah, I've seen that happen. I've seen that happen multiple times. Have I seen people who in one minute are so paralyzed by their insecurity and their fear and their shame and their guilt that they can't even function as a person and then five minutes later, they're a completely different person? I've seen that happen. I've seen that happen multiple times. I know God will do that. But I also know that that's rare. And one of the things I'm really interested in is... Why? I want. I want to. Uh, I want to look into God's word, and I want to see why God chooses process ninety-nine percent of the time. I think I have a few ideas as to why, but that's one of those. I there are. I have lots of gigantic questions that I just kind of have put before God and said, "I'm on a journey to find out this right here." And it may take me the rest of my life to learn just a little bit about it, but I want to find out about it. And this issue of process is definitely one of them. God has ordered this universe, has ordered the human existence. He has ordered history, human history, towards the fact that he works over time through, through processes. And I'm really interested to see what, what that's really for and why he's made that decision. 
But you can watch it all through Scripture, the story of the stories of Scripture, watching people's lives go from point A to point B. And you can watch the process of their belief as God over time convinces them of who he is and over time teaches them and over time leads them to the destiny he has for them. As always, David is my one of my favorite examples of that. You know, I mean, God called him and anointed him when he was very young. And then he walked through this whole season where he had been anointed by the prophet of Israel as the next king of Israel. And then he spends like the next, then he, then almost immediately after that, he kills a giant. And then he spends like the next seven years hiding in a cave because the current king of Israel wants to kill him. What was that all about? Well, I think this was God's process of making David into the man that he was supposed to be, but... Why didn't God just do it all, you know, kill Saul, raise up David, put him on the throne. God could have done all of that. He didn't. He walked him through a process. I think about Elijah and where Elijah had to go. You know, he did, he has this gigantic victory on top of Mount Carmel. And then immediately, <coughs> forgive me, immediately he goes off into the wilderness and tells God, I'm the only one who still follows you. It's like, what are you talking about? You just, but... Did you not see fire fall from heaven just five minutes ago? Anyway, it's there's some really fast. Just well, I don't know why I'm talking about that. But maybe some of you are in the midst of process, and you need I don't know. You just need to hear from me that this grind that you're in, this 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 moment that probably really sucks and that you aren't enjoying whatsoever. This is a gift. It's a gift, and it's going to be over sooner. If you lean into it and cooperate with it, then it will, if you ignore it and try and fight it. If you ignore it and try and fight it, it's going to take a lot longer. Lean into it. Deal with the pain. Confront the uncomfortability immediately. Just just feel it and let God lead you through this moment that's not fun. Let him help you process that will bring you out quicker and you'll get everything God wanted you to get through this moment. So I don't know. Again, sometimes I find myself saying things and I'm not entirely sure why I'm saying them, but none of that was in my notes, but maybe that's for somebody. So we made it to chapter two. Woo. My she's the only one that's excited. I'm excited about it. You guys awake this morning. Drink your coffee deeply. This is my first coffee of the day. <clears throat> It'll probably be my only coffee of the day. Can you say how many do you usually have? One. I usually one grande per day. Is that a grande? Yes. That's my normal consumption. Unless like after dinner I feel like having a dessert coffee. <laughs> Since I can't have like a glass of wine, I'll have a dessert coffee. <laughs> no, this is dessert. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> What's that? Are you crazy? You are asking for heart attack. I don't care. You've got to be out of your brain. 
Like, can you move that leg? Can you move your leg I would. I would be so like. Yeah, it's only my first coffee. Six shots. He only gets the six shots once a day. Okay. My favorite thing. If if you ever go to DeBrands, which you should. But but go with a lot of money in your pocket because it's expensive. But if you ever go, I, their hot chocolate is – it transports you to another dimension. That's how good it is. I mean you just take the first drink and you're just like uh. – all of a sudden you're seeing the world from the fifth dimension. And it's even better if you haven't put a shot of espresso in it. Oh, yeah. It's hot chocolate with a kick. But I drink that. I, I just I drink a hot chocolate like this big with a shot of espresso in it, and by the time I get halfway through, I'm just like, ha, ha, like you know, I'm just bouncing off the wall. Ding 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 ding. My wife is going, "You are so annoying when you're caffeinated," because I just find everything funny. Like you know, <laughs> all of a sudden I'm, you know, <laughs> you guys ever seen the movie Black Sheep? Yeah. You know the scene when they're in the car and the nitrous oxide's been leaking in and they're totally stoned on the nitrous oxide and he's like Croads. Ah. Okay, that's kind of like I find stupid things funny like that. I just start saying words in strange ways. The accents just start rolling out with completely unbidden. That's what happens to me with an excess of caffeine. Oh. I do have what is referred to only by me as random accent disorder. Yeah, I, that's what I call it because that's what it is. It's a, yes, it's RAD. It's random accent disorder where for whatever reason I just – I begin speaking in another accent. and I, I don't know why. And I don't know why that happens. It just happens. I think it's because my mother used to walk around and say things like, Walter wants some water. You know, and I was, you know, three years old, like, <laughs> Ian has started the accent thing, and, I, and it's, it's a lot of fun. The other day we were in the car, and I, I, he wanted me to turn on my hotspot on my phone so he could, he could like, watch something on his iPod and, and, uh, and and he had said to me several times, Dad, turn your hotspot on. Dad, turn your And all of a sudden, he went into this nearly flawless Gollum impression. Hotspot precious. And I was just like, whoa. <laughs> 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 it was, me and Aiden were just dying laughing. And I, so I turned it on and he goes, thank you. Thank you. I was like, that was amazing. But he won't ever do it on camera. Like if he knows I'm filming him. <laughs> He won't do anything funny. <coughs> All right, chapter two. I've only had a few drinks of this, and I'm already bunny trailing. I don't know. I'm not even on cold medicine right now. Okay, so at the end of chapter one, remember we were talking about we had gone to we had talked about how God has been revealing Himself through creation since before the foundations of the world that the God has been showing who he is and what he's like. And, 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 and he has put that inside the DNA of every human being so that we know just by the fact that we're alive and breathing, we have an understanding of what God is like and what he wants from us. We know intrinsically 
what's what's moral and what's immoral. We know uh, uh, immediately what's fair and what's not fair. We have some semblance of the kind of order that God wants to bring, that God wants to have in human relationships and in the universe. We we have a moral sense, and that we we violate our own moral sense. We 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 run away from our understanding of the fact that we were created in God's image. And we begin to worship other things, human beings, uh, animals, creatures. We lift other things and we, we magnify them as being ultimate because we refuse to be satisfied by the glory of God. Okay. And at the end of last week, we spent some time just walking through kind of the, 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 the reverse of the attributes of God. I would two, weeks, two classes ago, we walked through the attributes of God, the things that God is like. But then we walked through what the, the places that sin goes, the places that this process of re- replacing our honor for God with honor for other things and where that leads in human behavior, human thought processes, human emotions. So we walked through that list at the end of last time. Now Paul is kind of stepping back to this idea that we all know what's right and wrong. Everybody knows. And he comes to verse one. <coughs> he says, therefore, you have no excuse. Now wait, wait for it. Every one of you who what? Passes judgment. For in that which you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. Now, I need to draw your attention again to the audience of this letter. Okay, The Apostle Paul is writing to an audience that is half Gentile, half Jewish. Okay, And that is, that's, that is this big separation line between the Jewish believers and the Gentile believers in Rome. And he's speaking to both of them. But there are times when he is going to kind of pull up the, the, the Jewish personality and speak directly to the Jewish personality. And there's times when he's going to pull up the Gentile personality and speak directly to the Gentile. In this moment, he's talking more to the Jews, okay? Because the Jews believed themselves to be the ones who had received the oracles of God, okay? They were the ones God had given the law to. And the law, in, in Judaism, the law is... is really the God of Judaism is the law. That's th- th- that was Jesus problem with the Pharisees was that the Pharisees worshiped the law. And the reason they worship the law is because by the law, they can magnify themselves. And there's this kind of vein in, in the Jewish mindset of the time, and maybe even today, I don't know, but in the Jewish mindset of the time, of we're better than you because we have the law. We know better than you. We get to judge you because we have the law and you don't. And that mindset mindset got carried into the church as well, to where the Jewish believers kind of held themselves as better, higher, more important than, more saved than the Gentile believers. Because the Jewish people, well, we're just kind of stepping over from, we still keep all of our Jewishness, but now we have Jesus also. Whereas the Gentiles were leaving behind all of the idols and all the things that they worshiped before 
and saying now we serve Jesus and not and not everything we served before. So the Jews are saying, well, we were kind of already there. We were two thirds of the way there. We just needed Jesus to complete the picture. And the gen and there's they would say to the Gentiles, you didn't know anything, and now you're starting to learn about Jesus, but you still have a lot to learn. And so now Paul is kind of aiming both guns at the Jewish quarter and saying, look, you who pass judgment on anybody else, you condemn yourself because you practice the same things. You break the law. Okay. This portion of scripture, Paul is, he speaks to this Jewish personality. Um, and the principles are true. So, but whether you're Jewish or not, (laughs) because nowadays, let's be honest nowadays, that same spirit, that same kind of I'm better than you spirit sits over the person who's been a Christian their whole life, who grew up in church, who feels like, well, I don't, I mean, I need Jesus, but not as bad as those people who have this, you know, past. You know, we have the, we have, we have this, we have this arrogance that sits on the church that makes us think that we're better than someone else. This arrogance that sits on the the followers of Jesus that have been doing this Jesus thing for a long time. And it's the same spirit. It's that same pharisaical spirit. I like to, a lot of people refer to it as the religious spirit because it is, it has taken um, the law, which was meant to show us what God is like and has turned in and they have fashioned it into a ladder, which people can climb to exalt themselves over others, which is never, ever what it was meant to do. All the law was ever meant to do ever. And we'll talk about this a lot more later on in this book, but all the law was ever meant to do ever was accuse. That's it. All the law was ever meant to do was to show us what God is like so that we can hold ourselves up against it and go, nope, I don't measure up. That is all the law was ever meant to do. To show us that we need a savior. The law was not given to us to save us. The law was not given to us to change us. The law was not given to us for us to use it as a way to exalt ourselves above other people. The law was given to us to humble us, to show us that we need someone to help us because we are screwed up. Are we all in agreement on that point? We're screwed up. Okay, there is not one person in, that has not broken the law. Well, let's continue. I'm getting ahead of myself. <clears throat> there is no human who has a better standing before God than another human, other than Jesus himself. Everybody else is on level ground. There's this saying that the the ground of the ground at the cross was level ground, which actually isn't true because it was on a hill. But, but, but the idea is everybody comes to the cross, a sinner. Nobody comes to the cross and says, "Oh, I don't need that. I'm just going to keep going on to heaven." No, everybody comes to the cross condemned. Everybody comes to the cross dying. Everybody comes to the cross broken. Everybody comes to the cross messed up. Nobody gets to like say to somebody else, well, I need a little bit of forgiveness, but you need a lot of forgiveness. <laughs> no, that's not how it works. If you need any forgiveness, you need all forgiveness. Let's keep moving. 
We have no place to think ourselves more righteous than anyone else. Verse 2. And we know that the judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things. That's that list that we just listed. But do you suppose this, O man, when you pass judgment on those who practice such things and do the same yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? You might look at that list and say, I am good because there's only one thing on that list from the other day that actually, you know, kind of made me go, ooh, just one. Whereas I know Preston has like 18 of those that he's like, ew. Okay, but I only have one, so I'm good, right? Wrong, wrong. If you miss one, this is a pass or fail test. If you miss one, you lose. Period. If you have ever sinned, you have fallen short of the glory of God, and every single one of you has sinned today. I don't know that I've sinned today. Yeah, there was a thought that went through your brain that was a sinful thought. Or there was an emotion that, you know, the emotion that that I feel every time my alarm goes off is my first sin of the day. (laughs) (laughs) Most of the time it doesn't come out in a bad word, but every once in a while. (laughs) You know? Every single one of us. Which is why it's really good that there's new mercy every morning. Because <laughs> I especially need it in the morning. <clears throat> Do you think that just because you didn't break the first three on the list, and I only broke the fourth one, that you're going to escape the judgment of God? No, you are under the judgment of God. God is rightfully judging you, finding you not worthy, and destining you for hell. You're, that's where you're headed. Standing on your own two feet, all you deserve is hell. That's it. You're not doing better than anybody else. There's nobody that we can look at. And everybody loves to talk about Hitler. Everybody likes to be like, well, I'm not like Hitler. Yes, you are. (laughs) You're not more righteous in yourself than Hitler. That kind of hurts, doesn't it? Got a bit of mustache. Yeah, but I'm Jewish. I can't be like Hitler. Ah, whatever. <laughs> You're not more righteous in yourself than Hitler was. There is a Sufjan Stevens song. Anybody know Sufjan Stevens? What? You don't know Sufjan Stevens? Uh, oh, I weep for this generation. First name like a yeah. It's spelled S-U-F-J-A-N. Sufjan. Anyway. Okay, he... he on my favorite album of his, which, which is called... Can you feel the Illinois? Um, I don't know. If it's, it's all about <laughs> Illinois, but it's my it's my favorite album. He he did he did a couple albums about states. He did a Michigan album and he did an Illinois album. And uh, he was talking about he had he had thrown these rumors around that he was going to do an album for each of the fifty states, but he he only did two. So he only did Illinois and Michigan. So, but they're brilliant. I mean, they're truly brilliant. But there's this one. There's this one song called John Wayne Gacy Jr. Does anybody know who John Wayne Gacy is? Okay. John Wayne Gacy Jr. was a serial killer. Okay. He killed 27 people that we know of. May have been more. Right? And he goes through the whole song kind of detailing the horrors of John Wayne Gacy. And and it's this really sad, really disturbing kind of song. It's beautiful actually. And 
The second to last line, he says, on his best behavior in a dark room on the bed, he killed them all. And then the last line, he says, and on my best behavior, I'm really just like him. Look beneath the floorboards for the secrets I have hid. John Wayne Gacy buried all of his victims under his house. <coughs> and he was saying, Sufjan is a Christian, although he doesn't necessarily write Christian music, but he's a, he is a follower of Jesus Christ. And he was saying, it is easy to be horrified by examples of sin that are so obvious and destructive, but I'm not really better than this man. It's one of the most chilling endings of any song ever. He's just like, look beneath the floorboards for the secrets I have hid. And then you just hear him breathing. It's like, ah! it's just really freaky because it makes me want to go like to Sufjan's house and dig up the floorboards. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I would recommend Sufjan to anybody. It's kind of folky. Oh, it's kind of, it's, it's really good. Really, really, he's a genius. His most recent album was all about death. So, I mean, you should definitely see that. <laughs> no, it's... What was his last name? Stevens. Stevens? With a V. Sufjan. Yeah, S-U-F-J-A-N, Stevens, with a V. Okay. Definitely worth uh, checking out. He's a genius. I mean, truly, truly a genius. Anybody who writes about Illinois, clearly. Oh, of course. He also wrote about Michigan. He's actually from Michigan. There's a song on the Michigan album called Romulus because that's the town he grew up yes. in. Yes. And, and, that's beautiful. And that song, is, that song makes me weep like a child. But anyway. No. I was for about five minutes and decided I didn't like it. So. All right, so... <coughs> What Paul is doing is he's really just preaching Jesus, okay? From Luke chapter 6 and Matthew chapter 7, okay, where Jesus says, you know, you who would take the splinter out of your brother's eye, you should really, you, how can you do that when you have a plank in your own eye? Okay, I, 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 love, I, I absolutely love this picture. Jesus is so, he's so awesome. And I can see him doing it, like 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 picking up a piece of wood and being like, "Oh, you want to get the splinter out of there? I bet actually you have a log sticking out of your eye, you know." <laughs> and he's like, "Get the log out of your own eye first, and then maybe you can help your brother. But deal with your stuff. Deal with your stuff. Look inward before you look outward. Start to ask yourself about your own stuff before you start talking about somebody else's." Don't, you know, it's, uh, I don't remember which one it is, but he said, which, whether it's Luke or Matthew, but it's where he talks about don't judge. It's Matthew. Is it Matthew? I read both, but I, and I don't remember which one it was, but he says, he says, look, with the measure with which you are doling it is the measure that you're going to receive it yourself. Whatever standard you're holding to other people is the standard God's going to hold you to. Don't judge. Yes. Oh, I knew it was Matthew 7 because I wrote it down, but I... I <coughs> Pay attention. Paul's just preaching that. He's just preaching Jesus. That's all he's doing. He's saying, you are not better than anyone else. 
we have this wonderful thing that we do in the, in the church where we rank sins. And we say that, well, this sin is, you know, we consider one sin to be much worse than another. Okay? But in the eyes of Jesus, in the eyes of God, any sin at all equals eternal punishment. Okay? So while there are, now let me, let, let me be incredibly clear here. Okay? Are there certain sins which have a greater earthly consequence than other sins? Absolutely. If I shoot you in the head, okay? All right? If I do that, okay, I have ended a human life. Okay, that causes, that, cause, that is one of the greatest, most, most, you know, destructive things that can be done is the ending of the human life. Because think of all the people that it affects. And people all of the, think of the future that now no longer exists. And the things that God would have, would have had, would have done with that human being that now no longer exists. The future that has ended because you ended a human life. That sin has a much more, much greater earthly consequence, earthly consequence than, you know, if I just steal your pen. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because I know, like, this evangelist back in Florida, who used to be, like, in a game, and he killed people. Sure. And, but, you know, he gave his life to Christ now. Right. So, does that mean that he's still going to hell? No. No. And that's the second half of what I was going to say. That while sin has greater earthly consequences, in other words... Certain actions, you know, if I press the button on the nuclear thing, okay, it's, it's going to cause a lot more damage than if I, you know, steal a piece of gum from your purse, right? Okay. Um, <laughs> I <don't know>. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going nuclear on you if you steal gum from my purse. <coughs> but, so obviously there are greater consequences for some actions than there are for others, but those consequences are, are, Earthly consequences. They exist in this frame, in this moment in time. But sin looked at eternally, all sin is the exaltation of something other, of something over the Lord, and therefore it has, it is worthy of eternal punishment because you have devalued an eternally worthy thing through your sin. And it doesn't matter when you look, when you put the earthly scale next to the eternal scale, God looks at it and says, there is no difference. So there is no sin God that, that God won't forgive you for like that. And I know somebody's going to bring up the unforgivable sin. We're not going to talk about that right now. You have to actually be a Christian to commit the unforgivable sin, by the way, or at least a person who knows God on some level. I'm curious. I didn't know that was everybody takes that verse completely out of context and everybody starts I can't tell you how many phone calls I've gotten how many conversations I've had I think I've committed the unforgivable sin I'm like I'm pretty sure you haven't but that's okay because if you had you wouldn't feel bad about it but let's keep moving okay God's judgment is against all sin equally once you have transgressed the law at any point, 
He, his judgment stands against you. And every single one of us has transgressed the law at least once. So God's judgment stands against us. Okay, period. It doesn't matter what your sin was, how big it was, how small it was. You cannot look at anybody else and say, I'm a better person than you. You cannot. Because before the eyes of God, you are as unrighteous as Hitler. That's just the way it is. You are as evil as they are. We need to understand that. Okay? We need to get to the place where we truly understand that we are not better than anyone else. That we deserve nothing. I always say, I say all the time, I don't believe in self-esteem. Have I said that in here yet? I don't believe in self-esteem because I have no worth. Okay. (laughs) We have no worth. We have no worth because we are endlessly sinful. And here's the truth. If you were put through the same kind of life that Hitler was put through or other people were put through, you would be just like him. People love to kind of say, well, you know, if I had been in the garden, wrong. You would have eaten the apple too. (laughs) You're not better than other. Don't hold yourself up and say you're better than somebody. You are not. You are not. You have your brokenness. It's not the same brokenness as as the other people in the room. But it's not better than their brokenness. Your brokenness is just as broken as their brokenness. You got to get that. You need to understand that. You need to be able to connect with that reality. We all have planks coming out of our eyes. It's just the way it is. And we're all walking through this process together, those of us that are in Christ, of becoming more like Jesus all the time. But it's not, but none of us, not one of us, are doing that in our own strength or our, or our own ability. We are just allowing the Holy Spirit to do it in us, and God is slowly pulling the planks out. Are you with me on this? Yeah. Okay. That's what he's preaching. So remember, we are just as sinful as anyone we would pass judgment on. Verse 4. Or do you lightly... Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? I I want this verse to resonate in your heart. And I want it to shape the way that you attempt to reach out to people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay, what does this say? It is the what of God which leads us to repentance? The kindness of God, which leads us to repentance. Okay, now do you think, do you think that God beating somebody up is kindness? Truth is, if God's doing it, it probably is. (laughs) But we love, we love to do this command and control thing. We love to hold people's sin over them. You are evil. We love to do that. But this verse says it's the kindness of God that leads them to repentance. We love to say, you deserve nothing. We love to do that. We love to kind of, there's this whole mindset that people have to be 
You know, you have to confront them with their evil. You have to confront them with their sin before they can accept the gospel. I have a real problem with that. I have a huge problem with that. Because the last time I heard, Jesus told me to go into all the world and preach the what? The gospel. The good news. Did Jesus say, go into all the world and convince them they're all sinners? (laughs) Did he say that? No. Did he say, go into all the world and make everyone feel guilty? No. Did he say, go into all the world and convince them how righteous you are? No. He said one thing. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. This is our job. We are to get out there. We are to speak to people who do not know the truth. And we are to tell them Jesus loves you. Jesus died for you. Jesus wants you. Jesus made a way for you to be everything that God created you to be. For your brokenness to be healed, the brokenness that's in me, the same brokenness that same kind of brokenness that I have and, and that you have. Jesus is helping me heal, and you're still stuck in this in this revolving cycle of destruction. And it's not because I'm better than you, it's because I just took the free medicine that was offered to me. Whenever, whenever, whenever we begin to talk to somebody about the gospel, we had better not be thinking, well, I need to inform them of my ways. I need to bring them up to my level. I have to help them understand the things that I understand that they don't. Wrong! If you are reaching down to pull someone up, then you are deluded. You're reaching across. Those people are not better than you. No unsaved person is worse than I am, and I am no better than any unsaved person. I am receiving the grace of God, and they are not. That is the only difference between me and them. And I want them to be just like me. Not in I, that I want them to be just like me, just the way, exactly the way I am, but I want them to receive what I'm receiving. I want them to benefit from what I am benefiting from. I want them to taste and see that God is good. Does this make sense to you? So many times when I go, when we do like street ministry, when we go out or when we go to another country or when we ever, there's this kind of attitude among the Christians of we're going to go out there and inform them of all the ways they're wrong. Are you stupid? (laughs) The truth is you might be meeting somebody that in a lot of ways is more righteous than you. Do you really think that you're going to be able to convince them by showing them how righteous you are? That's not how it works. That's not how it works. I I, I do everything I can immediately when I'm talking with someone that is not a believer to help them understand that I do not consider myself more righteous than them. I do everything I can to help them understand that right away. Because I'm a a Christian, I'm a pastor. Woo! 
immediately, oh, it drives me nuts. I usually do everything I can to help to – I don't want them to know I'm a pastor most of the time. If they don't know me, I just want them to encounter me as a guy, like not as a religious leader. Oh, my God. No. And it's so funny because like I'll be having a conversation with somebody and, you know, so what do you do? I'm a pastor. And all of a sudden their language changes and the way that they talk changes and – you know, they, they, they have more respect for God all of a sudden. And I'm just like, ah, don't do that. Don't retreat behind the mask of self-righteousness. It's not necessary. And so I do whatever I can to be like, wait, just quit that. Quit, Please don't do that. For the love of God, don't call me reverend. <laughs> no. Somebody called me that and I was just like, whew. <laughs> Please don't call me that. They're like, but that is your title, correct? I was like, ah, uh, legally, maybe, but just maybe. <laughs> anyway. I'm not better than them. They need to know I'm not better than them. They need to understand that I don't think of myself as better than them. Because you can't listen to someone who thinks they're better than you. I can't. When I'm talking to someone... The thing that I can tell that they think they know more about things than I do, there is, there is immediately at least two-thirds of my brain that just goes, I have no, no time for you. None. It's one of the reasons that I've actually thought about cussing in my sermons. I'm not going to do it because I might get kicked out of the Assembly of God, but <laughs> I know if Pastor Don heard me cuss at a sermon, I would be done. In fact, one time I was at a PK retreat and I, I said the word crap and he gave me a look. Oh. I know, right? It was, <laughs> it was really bad. I was talking about how Jesus pooped. Oh my God. <laughs> That's something I talk about a lot, especially with Christians, because they like to think of Jesus as some kind of non-human, like alien that walked around, you know, <laughs> absolutely just serene and perfect all the time, you know, exactly. It's just like, exactly. <laughs> and I, I love to talk about Jesus B.O. I love to talk about Jesus poop. I love... <laughs> You know, and, I, and and there's always that there's always that joke. That joke always comes up. We'll talk about holy crap. <laughs> you know, okay. <laughs> so I said that, and I see Don Gifford go. I'm sorry, but I'm not supposed to say crap. I'm sorry. I, I won't do it again. Of course I will. Maybe <laughs> you just said crap like three times. <laughs> I won't do it again in front of Pastor Don. Hello. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> no, I just want to be as I want to be as transparent, and I want to be as as I want everybody that I'm speaking to to know that I don't consider myself better than. <laughs> I don't consider myself better than anybody in this room. Please hear me. I don't consider myself more righteous, more gifted, more important 
than anybody in this room. Because I'm not. And any benefit that any of you is receiving from this that we're doing right now is the absolute no, <laughs> it's the grace of God that anything could pour through a vessel as broken as me. Am I getting healed? Yeah. Am I learning? Uh-huh. But I'm still really messed up. After, after you know, 34 years of following Jesus, yes, I've been saved that long. But after 34 years of following Jesus, I'm still no closer to getting to heaven on my own righteousness than I was 34 years ago. In fact, I'm probably a lot further away. Thankfully, I don't have to. Isn't that great news? Just sit back for just a minute right now and realize that I don't, I'm not going, heaven is not based upon my righteousness. I need a sip of coffee with that. (laughs) It's a delicious thought. (laughs) It is. It's wonderful. And not because now I get to go sin as much as I want. Woo! No, come on, give me a break. No, it's just because I can rest in the goodness and the grace of God. And even when I stumble, and I'm really going to try hard not to stumble, but even when I stumble, I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be okay. That's really good news. That's just unbelievably good news. When I rest in that, and I make no attempt at earning anything from God. By the way, that's the only way you can receive grace, is by stop stopping your attempts to earn it. If you hear nothing else that I say today, will you hear that, please? The only way to receive grace is to stop trying to earn it. I'm really offending a couple religious spirits in the room. I can feel it. I love it. Come on, bring it on. <laughs> I'm serious. I can. Uh, there's more than one person in the room right now that is a little mad about the statement that I just made. You cannot receive grace until you stop attempting to earn it. The religious spirit says of itself, I have worth because I've worked really hard to become more like God. I have worth because I have wrestled with my sin and I've gained a measure of victory. And that somehow my wrestle with my sin my wrestle with my brokenness and my measure of victory that I've earned is what makes God like me or what makes God, maybe not like me, but makes God, you know, grudgingly let me into heaven. That it's my struggle that's winning me my place. And that's not true, friends. 
It's not true. The truth is, your struggle has kept you out of some of the grace of God that he wanted to put into your life. Because what God wanted to give you as a gift, you have attempted to buy. And you can't. Anybody seen the movie Stranger Than Fiction? Love that movie. Weird. It's a great movie. I, I love weird movies, though, but I love that movie. My favorite part is when he's walking across the uh, crosswalk or whatever in the road. He's like making sure he steps on all that. <laughs> My favorite part is when he gives her flowers. And it's it's the, the main character, or the, the, the love interest, the female love interest, is a baker. And he gives her this box full of different kinds of flour. He said, I'm giving you flowers. <laughs> I just, I, I just that, that whole scene. He says to her, I want you. And she's like, is there more to that? He goes, I can't get past just, I, I want you. <laughs> what? Will Ferrell. Will Ferrell. Yeah, I've seen Maggie Gyllenhaal. I, I love that movie. But there's a scene in the movie... She's a baker. He's a tax man. He is, he is auditing her business because she sent in a letter to the IRS that said, I'm, I'm only going to pay you this much of the taxes that I owe you because I don't want to pay for the wars that you're waging in other countries. Okay, She's kind of a liberal crazy person and I love it. But <laughs> she says, I don't mind paying for roads and schools and whatever, but this much of the budget – of the federal budget is spent on military and I don't want to pay for that. So I'm just going to pay you this much of the tax. Anyway, so he's there auditing her and there's, and, and she does everything she can do to make his life uh, just a living hell. He just, she, she like gives him this just gigantic box, just piled, like all jumbled up with receipts. And she goes, here you go. Have fun. And just does everything she can do to make his life terrible. And at the end of the day, she feels bad for him. So she makes him a cookie. Actually, several cookies. And and she goes to give them to him, and he tries the first one, and he's like, oh, this is amazing. And then all of a sudden, and then he he pulls out his wallet and tries to pay her, because as a tax man, he's not allowed to receive gifts from those the people that he's auditing. And she's really offended that he wants to pay her for the gift that she's trying to give him. She's trying to be nice to him, and he won't let her. And I feel like God is doing that to us all the time. I feel like God is constantly trying to give us gifts, and we're like, well, here, let me work really hard so I can earn it. And and all of our work is crap, and all of our work is messed up because it's all based on our own ego, and it's all the wrong, you know, it's all so full of sin and stuff that God can't even accept, you know. He's like, I, I don't want anything from you. I want to give this to you. Let me give it to you. It's a gift. And we try and earn God's gifts, and he doesn't want us to. I, um, one of the ways that I see this most often is when people are trying to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. 
when I was a kid, receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit looked like this. Okay, we would have a fire evangelist who would come. And he would preach for an hour at least about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and how we need to be endued with power from on high. And he would blah, blah, blah. And then he would say, now come up to the altar, you know, and just, you know, we'd, people would come down. And then, he, and then uh, hordes of sweaty men would come around the people that are at the altar and just lean on them and yell in tongues in their ear and just wave them back and forth. That was, okay. And, 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 and you basically, you're, you're just going, ah, 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 ah. And most of the time they're little, they're like kids trying to receive the baptism and all these huge sweaty men just have their hands on right <laughs> and people are just going there it is just speak just good and you're just like i don't know what you're talking about okay <clears throat> i went through three years of services like that where i was trying to receive the baptism of the holy spirit and because i really wanted to receive the baptism of the holy spirit I was going up to the altar every time they gave a call for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I, and I was enduring that ridiculous siege, okay, of, of people who were very well-meaning, who loved me very, very much, but who, who, and who wanted me to receive this thing. And so they were doing what they thought they were supposed to do to receive it. But the truth is that all of that work, and I was working really hard too, because they you know, follow every instruction they give you, you know, begin to praise or, uh, but then I had to, you get weird conflicting instructions, begin to praise the Lord, but don't be saying anything in English because if you're speaking in English, you can't speak in tongues. But how do I, I don't know, how do I praise and not praise at the same time? Like, you know, <laughs> you know, so it was this really confusing, weird thing. And, and I was doing a lot of work. I was trying to, like, whip myself up into a frenzy that would end up in tongues. Doesn't work. Never works. I mean, apparently it worked for some people. It never worked for me. I was always just, like, really frustrated and a little angry with God when I would walk away from the altar not having received the gift of tongues that the guy, the preacher, had told me everyone was supposed to get. I didn't understand that. One day, we had another altar call, and I was just completely frustrated, and I sat down in the third row, and I said, I can't go through that again. Lord, you know I want this. Here I am. And then just exploded. A precious heavenly language began to just flow in this beautiful way. But I had to... And I honestly believe the key was that I had to stop working so hard and just receive it. And so when I do calls to see people filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I, I encourage people to just go off by themselves and just begin to ask the Lord for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And we set up a, a quiet, you know, the music will be a little bit loud so that nobody feels embarrassed, but, but, there's nobody, and I will go around and I will lay hands on people, but very gently. And I give them the instruction beforehand, God wants to give this to you more than you want to receive it. Just ask him for it, and then listen for the first sound, and God will give it to you. Begin to say that sound, and that's where it all starts. It's not hard. In fact, I have... I. I there's one kid in particular who still goes to this church who 
receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit via text message with me. Because I was just giving him the instructions over text message. He didn't need anybody there. He didn't need anybody, you know, and that because you don't. The Holy Spirit's already there. <laughs> the funny thing was he started texting me back like the phonetic pronunciations of words that were coming out of his mouth. I'm saying something like this, blah, 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 blah. Do <laughs> you think that's it? And I'm like, yes, just keep going. You don't have to tell me. <laughs> and I know he listens to this podcast sometimes. So hi, Austin. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? It's not that hard. It's a gift. The truth is, that's the way God wants to give us everything. It's not about working yourself up to something or, or earning something. How many of you have fasted thinking, I'm really putting some like spiritual money in the bank this time? <laughs> That's not what fasting is about. Fasting is not earning brownie points with God. Okay, we can talk more about what... Fasting is intentional weakness because in our weakness, he's made strong. That's fasting. It is not, it is not about when I'm fasting, God really likes me. Oh, come <laughs> on. God uses kindness to lead us to repentance. Okay? He's not he's not got a whip, you know, whoosh, whoosh, repent, repent. No, God uses kindness to lead us to repentance. The problem is that some people interpret the kindness of God as approval for their behavior. Well, God's really blessing, so I must be okay. How many big time preachers who have been extremely successful you find out they've been living a life of sin the whole time. And you think, everybody always thinks, I think, everybody always thinks, how could God use them when they were in the midst of that? And the answer is, the kindness of God is meant to lead us to repentance. Besides, if, donkey, if God can use a donkey to talk to Balaam, don't receive anything based on our righteousness. We receive everything based on God's kindness. Receive kindness, receive the kindness of the Lord, and step into repentance. Now, let's talk about repentance for a minute. What is repentance? Give me your definition. I want five or six definitions. Go. Activation of faith of turning around uh, from what you're doing and going the opposite direction. That was, a, that was a really good attempt at trying to guess what I wanted you to say. I appreciate that. No, that's that. what I was just, what I mean. no, seriously, whenever anybody talks about it, that's all I think about now. Okay. Like, and and just... you're right. The word repentance means to stop and make a 180 degree turn and go the other direction. That's what the word repentance means. But in the Christian context, there's an easier way to talk about it. Somebody give me another definition. Yeah. Oh, a complete change of heart, mind, and direction. And that's the Bible quiz answer. 
That's beautiful. I, I love Bible quiz. That's great. So give, give me another one. For me, it may not be biblical, but I, every single time I think about the word repentance, I think of, God, I know I screwed up, and I'm sorry. Okay. And I, I don't know if it's way deeper than just saying I'm sorry. Right. It's not but, enough to... Yeah, because... Remorse like, does not equal repentance. Yeah. But, like, going to God and saying, yeah, I know this isn't right in my life, and I know I need to change things, and I want you to help me, and I want you to be a part of that, and yeah. I want to be closer to you, and I know that sin's holding me back, and, like... I don't know, still sometimes when you have a sin that's going on in your life and you keep repenting and you keep repenting and you keep repenting and you keep repenting, you just feel so far away. I don't know, that's something really want right now. So, the, the most important definition of repentance to me is to change the way that you think. That's, that's, the most important way to, to conceptualize repentance. You need to change your mind about that thing. You need to align the way you think about it, about whatever it is, with the way God thinks about it. And there's a quote that's attributed to Martin Luther, but I don't know if he actually said it, but it's still true. And that, is that all of life is repentance. And I honestly believe that the Christian life, the primary thing that should mark the Christian heart and the Christian life is this thing, repentance. We should be a people whose minds and hearts are being changed right now, every day, all day long. That the Holy Spirit is walking through us, through life with us, constantly saying, nope, you need to change the way you think about that. You need to change the way you think about this. You need to change the way you think. And giving us the ability to walk out a different way of thinking about something, about anything. About ourselves, about the world, about sin, about God. God's kindness, he pours out his kindness into our lives to give us the ability to turn. To change the way we think. Verse 5. But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself. In the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. That is a scary sentence. That is a scary sentence. Okay, here's the picture. God begins to, he comes into your life and he begins to be kind to you. Okay, he's, he's doing kind things to you. And the whole time, he's speaking, he's giving, he's, trying, he's putting people in your life that love you, he's trying to give you the ability to turn around. And every time you receive his kindness and don't change, you are storing up wrath. It's like another measure of wrath. Boop. 
gets put in to the bowl of wrath that's being built up against you. Which is why I worry a little bit about people who have fallen away from God but still come to church. They scare me. You want to know why? Because here's the thing. When you're sitting under an uh, anointed preaching and the word of God is going forward and you harden your heart and don't listen, the next time it's just a little bit easier than it was the first time to harden your heart. And the next time it's just a little bit easier. And the next time it's just a little bit easier and a little easier and a little easier and a little easier. And you basically you're building up this callous on your heart that eventually becomes basically impregnable. It's like, it doesn't matter. The most anointed speaker in the world could come and say, this is what's, and I've seen this happen. I don't know how many times where God, the Holy Spirit is like shooting arrows at somebody. And I could see it in the congregation. I could just see them. I could just see the Holy Spirit and arrows from the Holy Spirit just thunk, thunk, you know, and and, and they're just sitting there just kind of like bracing themselves. like, <laughs> And like, you know, sometimes they'll be crying and they just be sitting there just like, and then we give the altar call. Now come. And they know that they're supposed to come and they sit there and they don't move and they don't respond. And there's been more than one time when I have walked up to that person and said, I know God is speaking to you. And they will look at me and say, no, he's not. But they're obviously messed up about what's going on in the service at that moment. And they are stubbornly refusing to hear the voice of the Spirit. La, 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 la. That's what they're doing. They're just like, I don't want to hear this. That stuff scares me. Because that is how you, that's how you get to where you have committed the unparkable sin. Blasphemy of the Spirit. Where you look at something that you know is the activity of the Holy Spirit. And you say it's the activity of the enemy. That's that's what it's that's what it is. It's a continual hardening of your heart against what the Holy Spirit is saying to you over and over and over again. Eventually, you won't be able to hear anything. And I've had this conversation with young people that I know that have walked, you know, they've been in, they've known the Lord. And now they're walking away. And I've said to them, I know the Holy Spirit's speaking to you right now. And I, I will never forget one person in particular looking at me and saying, no, he's not anger and fury behind her eyes. And I, I'm not saying that she became seared and could never hear the Holy Spirit after that, but I felt the danger in that moment. I was genuinely frightened for her. I was shaken by that encounter. Do yourself a favor. When the Holy Spirit speaks, respond immediately. 
I don't care where you are. I don't care what you're doing. I don't care how embarrassing it is. When the Holy Spirit speaks, just do it. Just respond. What is the worst that could possibly happen if you respond? If you don't respond, the worst that could happen is it'd be much harder for you to hear the Holy Spirit tomorrow than it was today because you stuff cotton in your ears. Hey, but if that, that's if you don't respond. If you do respond, what's the worst possible thing that could happen? You might be a little bit embarrassed. Oh, no. Respond. Do what he's told you to do. When the Holy Spirit speaks, do not harden your heart. Move. I argue with God just like everybody else. <laughs> no, that can't be you, Lord. I, I, you know. He's unbelievably gracious. And he usually spends some time arguing with me until I finally say, okay! <laughs> but he doesn't have to. And it hurts me to think how many times I've probably grieved the Holy Spirit by not listening to what he's doing. Not hearing what he's saying. But not saying what he's saying. There was something I remember when I was when the Lord was first beginning to speak to me and first beginning to, I was beginning to discover that I was a prophet. I was beginning to find that out. I don't remember. I mean, I was in high school. I, I don't remember how old I was, but I was beginning to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. I was beginning to understand that God spoke to me. I was beginning to understand how to, how to, to, to hear what God was saying in a moment and, and, and kind of release that and be a part of that. And I was beginning to learn that. And I read this statement about Samuel. It says that he, you know, like he grew. So after he was initially called, one of the next things it says about him is that he never let the word of God fall to the ground. He always, when God spoke, he spoke. And I know that I've not done that. I can't make that claim. I haven't always spoken when God speaks, and it breaks my heart. I haven't always responded when the Holy Spirit prompts me. Ninety-nine percent of the communication that happens between you and God is going to be a call from the Holy Spirit for repentance in you. Pay attention to His voice, and when true, when great kindness comes into your life, something beautiful happens, some great gift or some. You know, just some great kindness. When God, when a great kindness comes into your life, your first response should be humility 
asking the Holy Spirit, what, what, what is it that I need to repent of? Because I'll tell you what most of our first responses are. That's right, I deserve that. Like we receive the grace of God and we immediately say, yep, that's exactly what I deserve. <sighs> oh, I, I earned this. Wrong. Every time God is good to you, every time you sense the goodness of God in a tangible way, in an emotional way, you can tell in that moment that God is being <clears throat> gracious and kind to you. Let it humble you because you don't deserve it. Respond with a repentant heart. It may not be that God wants you to, to like that there's a specific sin God's speaking to you about. It may not be. That's not repentance is more than that. Repentance is changing the direction, changing the way that you think. Let the kindness of God change the way you think and the way you feel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I I ask you to be kind to us this morning. And I sense you, Holy Spirit, just sitting heavily on hearts in this room. Speak clearly, Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that our response to you would be a repentant response. A response of humility, a response of, yes, Lord. A response that invites your help. That invites grace to flow into our beings. That invites empowerment. I pray that we would know repentance as turning from trying to do something in our own ability to stepping into faith and allowing you to do it in us and through us. I pray that repentance for us, that we would understand it immediately as being, as choosing not to strive, but to receive. Not to work, but to rest. Because your word tells us the truth. And repentance and rest is our salvation. And quietness and trust is our strength. In Jesus' name, amen.